Good morning, church. I am looking forward to the end of this month, September 26th. I hope you've been uh, paying attention and listening uh, to all the promos and, and just the buzz on campus. But we celebrate on September 26th, 11 years at the Exchange Church in Austin Metro. 11 years, that's a long time. I don't care who you are. When you, when you have a kid, 11 years, you think, oh, they're growing up so fast. Not me. When it's a church, wow. 11 years has been a long time, and God has blessed us, amen? We've been through some stuff together. Can I get a good amen? Uh, for those that are, are new to the church, maybe you've only been a few times, uh, you have happened upon, and I, I don't want to compare us to any other church, but you have happened upon an incredible group of family, of believers who come together in the great times to celebrate and come together in rough times and tragedy to mourn together and to uh, cheer one another on. So uh, you've come to the right place if you're looking uh, for a church home, the exchange. I mean, I am the pastor. I'm not sure that I'm allowed to say this, but it is, I would, I would not want to be anywhere else than the Exchange Church. Now, the past 11 years, we've seen some ups and we've seen some downs and we've seen some plateaus and we've seen you know all kinds of things. Uh, but one thing I do know, I would not have wanted to go through these 11 years with anyone else but you. You guys are incredible church family and I love you. I hope you'll be here uh, on the 26th and if not, if you're not in town, I hope you'll be watching online, throw a block party, introduce your neighbors to the Exchange. I hope you're doing that anyway. Those of you that are at home, I hope that's part of your ministry to the Lord is inviting your neighbors into your home and introducing them to the gospel and feeding them lunch and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but the 26th is going to be a great opportunity as we reflect on what the Lord has done. We're also going to give our one-time sacrificial big offering on the 26th on the same day. We've never done that before. We've never given our big offering on our anniversary service. But I just felt like um, out of gratitude this year, it just seems so appropriate to thank God for where we've been and what he's seen us through. I mean, I hope you realize it's a miracle that any church that is still open today, it is a miracle that that church is still open given the context of a pandemic. I don't know if you realize that, but churches and pastors are dropping like flies. And I don't say that as a dig to them. I, I pray for them. Many of my friends, I love them. What I'm saying, I need you to understand it's a miracle. The fact that you got to wake up this morning, put on your makeup or no makeup, fix your hair or, or didn't, Jordan. Like, the fact, I'm just kidding. That's my son, Jordan. He looks great. He's so handsome. But the fact that you had a house to go to, a, a church house this morning to go to, that's a miracle. And I just want to, man, I, I'm praying, Carrie and I are praying, we've been praying for weeks, actually months, we've been praying since April on what we're going to give for this offering. We, we obviously give our tithe and our offering, our tithe is our 10%, we give that every time we get paid, the first thing that we do, we give that. Then the offering is above the 10%, that's where generosity starts, you're actually not a generous person until you're an obedient person with your 10%, then you step into generosity, and so... Um, that's what we do as well. Our goal is every year to give more and more and more to the kingdom. But in this time, 
this sacrificial offering, it's our goal for my house, okay? For my house, for it to hurt, for us to feel it, for it to be truly an offering of sacrifice to the Lord. We first were introduced to that concept in our home church and college station over 15 years ago. And I remember Carrie and I, um, we had two small kids at the time. It was hard to make ends meet, and we had big plans, you know, big dreams, big goals, and we prayed about it, and we gave, how much was it? I think it was like 1500 or $2,000, $2,000 in that offering 15 years ago. And after I gave, some of you were like, what was he thinking? I know, that's what I was thinking. What are we doing? And I gave the offering, and we gave the offering, and then I broke down crying and my wife and we held each other and we cried. I wasn't crying because I just let go of $2,000. <laughs> I cried because I didn't know that I needed what I needed when the Lord gave it to me in that instant. When I released that money from my hand, there was a spiritual transaction that took place that I can't even put into words to you. Now, this is not a manipulation tactic to get you to give big. Give wherever your faith is, all right? Honestly, the Lord doesn't need your money at all, okay? He wants your heart. And so I'm telling you what happened to me. So I, if $100 is a big stretch for you in this season of your life, give that $100. But if you can do 101, do 101. Because I know that the Lord is going to meet you where your faith is. So that's on uh, the 26th, September 26th. So go ahead and plan for that. Brian, have a garage sale. Sell all that stuff you don't need. Uh, and, and that's the way you can get extra money, right? Or uh, Tim, I don't know, work a couple extra hours and just dedicate it to the Lord. Be like, Lord, this three hours is for you this week, you know? He's like, I can't work anymore. I work all that I can. You get my point. You guys ready to move into the Word today? We're in a series called Rise and Build. We're in the book of Nehemiah, which happens to be the book that the Lord used to bring us back to this area there were three places well two that we really wanted to go um, when we started the church in 2010 2010 we wanted to go either to oregon because it's absolutely beautiful and it was at the time the most unchurched state in the country and carrie and i like a good challenge and so we wanted to move to oregon or Option number two was Colorado. Colorado has enough churches, but I just really like to ski. And so I thought the Lord might be sending us to Colorado. Um, and then eventually the third option kind of crept in slowly and it was Austin. And my wife kept kicking it off the table uh, because we grew up here and we didn't want to come back here. We wanted to, we just knew the Lord was sending us elsewhere. Do you know what I mean? But over time, the Lord spoke to us and developed a passion and a love, just like Nehemiah, to go back to our homeland and help rebuild the city walls. And because of that, the Exchange Church was birthed in the Austin area where Carrie and I both grew up, where we met, where we married. And I believe, church, that together we are rebuilding the city walls that the enemy has tried to tear down. Amen. We are in chapter 2 today. And let's just quickly read through the text. One through eight is where I'm going to head today. It says, in the month, chapter two, verse one, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, 
when wine was brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you were not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king and the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if, if it pleases my king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. The title of my sermon today is The Movement of Purpose. The Movement of Purpose. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this moment. God, I just sense already that your spirit is in the room bringing healing to people that need it, bringing restoration to relationships that are on life support this morning. God, I thank you that your spirit is in the room to bring us encouragement, to bring us correction and rebuke where needed. And God, we just give you full permission this morning, God, to wreck our agenda and speak directly to our need. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say, Amen. Amen. We talked last week about the burden, getting a burden. And it's really easy in a pandemic or in crisis to become apathetic, to become numb, to forget that the Lord has created a need in us to have a burden, to be passionate about something, to want to pursue purpose in our life. We talked about getting a burden. And today I want to talk about the next step. What's after the burden? What does purpose look like? Because purpose doesn't stand still. There's movement to purpose. Purpose does something. It's not enough just to have a burden. A burden's important. You can't accomplish purpose without a burden, but a burden isn't enough. So where does purpose go once we have a burden? Now, if you remember the history lesson, remember we did some seminary coursework last week and we went through from Abraham all the way down to Nehemiah. If you uh, remember that the, the king split Israel into two sections, there was the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. The Assyrians rose up and conquered the northern kingdom. The Babylonians rose up, conquered the southern kingdom. But didn't just conquer Israel and Judah where they lived. They marched them off back to their hometown, homeland, right? So the Babylonians took Judah, the tribes of Judah, all the way back to Babylon. 
And then some years later, there was another group of people that rose up. The Persians rose up to conquer Babylon. And the Persian king is now sitting on the throne. And this is where we see people, people of Israel, the Jews, leaving Persia, leaving the Babylon, Babylon Empire and going back to Jerusalem. Why? Because there was a group of men who had traveled from Jerusalem back to where Nehemiah currently was. Nehemiah asked the question, how is the city, how are the people? And they, they communicated the desperate need of help because the walls were falling down. Now last week I told you that walls are a big deal in cities of biblical times. Right? Walls in biblical times have uh, purposes of biblical proportions. Right? It's, not, it's not just like us where we have a population sign. You go from city to city and you see the city's population as you enter and you think, oh, am I in Travis County now? Am I in Williamson? No, in biblical times, you knew when you would enter into a new city because you had to pass through the gates. So it was a big deal. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11. This is one verse before our text today. And I want to walk back through our text verse by verse to pull out some principles to you. But let's set the stage from last week's sermon to today where we're headed. We know that Nehemiah gets a burden. He weeps. He cries. He fasts. And he prays. The last verse of chapter 1 says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. So Nehemiah is praying that he will have favor because he's the cupbearer to the king. The cupbearer first drinks the wine or eats the food before it gets to the king. And if it's tainted with poison or anyone's trying to kill the king, they know because the cupbearer dies first, right? So the king has to trust the cupbearer. He has to be a man of integrity, a man of character, a man that is loyal. And Nehemiah was all of those things. And he, he's praying, asking the Lord to give him favor with this guy that he's protecting. Now, then we go to chapter 1. Sorry, chapter 2, verse 1. We just read the prayer of Nehemiah. Then we go to chapter 2, verse 1, and it says, In the month of Nisan. Everybody say Nisan. In the month of Nisan. Now this is, this is important to note because in chapter 1, it was the month of Kislev. Do you remember last week I said, The month of Kislev is November, December. Anyone remember that? Or was that just useless information thrown out into the air? First chapter was the month of Kislev in November and December. This chapter, chapter 2, verse 1. So we just finished praying. Now we are in the month of Nisan. That is April and May. Now that's important because this creates a principle for us. Because there's four to five months that Nehemiah spends in fasting and intercession and prayer before he ever moves on the burden. This principle is important because I find that we often get a burden from God and all we want to do is just run off and, and do it and get it done and take care of it. 
but we don't ever really spend the time to cover it in prayer first. And before we ever lay our hand to action, you and I have to learn to pray. We have to learn how to send our prayer out ahead of us before we do anything. Before we establish a hashtag for it. Before we establish a website for it. Before we establish social media for it. We should be spending hours, days, weeks, months, maybe even years in prayer. I'm convinced this is why so many endeavors fail. Because we didn't first let it marinate in a season of prayer before we stepped out and did something about it. Pray before you ask her to marry you. Can I get an amen? Pray before you ask him, ask her to date you. That's some guys in the, in the room, single guys, listen, that's actually a thing. Pray before you ask her out. Because the Lord knows if you'll find yourself in a situation that you might not want to say no to. The, the Lord knows if y'all will be a compliment to one another. He understands the future and sees around the corner and you don't. So how about even before you go hang out at Cinemark? Cinemark, I said Cinemark, not Netflix and chill. <laughs> before you go hang out at Cinemark, how about you just pray about it? Jordan? <laughs> I just realized this really applies to you. Not that you've done anything wrong, but that's your season of life. How about we just, like, not see a pretty girl, guys, and say, Jesus, help me. Like, that's not your prayer time. How about we pray before we start a business? Pray before we start a ministry. Pray before we step out. Pray before we quit. Pray before we leave. Pray before we see a divorce attorney. How about we pray before we log on to the computer? That would ruin the mood for many people. If you just spent some time in prayer before you opened up. In fact, if you're struggling with pornography addiction, why don't you just make a covenant with yourself to spend no less than seven minutes in worship and prayer before you ever sit down at a computer. I guarantee you the enemy will stop tempting you and bringing thoughts to your mind because he will not want to send you into warfare of worship. I mean, just a thought. How about we pray? Sometimes what God puts on our heart will demand a season of prayer. And church, we just have to learn to labor in prayer. And it's really hard. I get it in a... I'm not even going to say a drive through culture. We need to call it a Chick-fil-A culture. Because nobody can beat Chick-fil-A's drive through right? I, no lie, I just thought of this. This week, I was coming up to work. I had some errands off campus, and I was happened to be coming up around lunchtime, and I texted my wife, who was already here, and I said, hey, do you want any lunch? Whatever, I don't care. I said, how about Chick-fil-A? Because Christian chicken always makes the week better. And so... I get into the drive-thru at a location, and no names, and they're down, they're down from two lanes to one. 
the audacity. <laughs> I am not even lying. The trauma of sitting in the Chick-fil-A line for about eight minutes was devastating. I texted my wife after I ordered and I'm waiting at Chick-fil-A. I said, I don't know what's wrong, but they only have one line open, probably because all their workers went back to school. <laughs> because they hire a lot of young people, which is amazing. But uh, I'm just as I'm preaching that, the Lord's kind of reminding me, even, of how easy it is for us to get accustomed to and entitled to a certain way of living, and then how we get a little shook when we're inconvenienced. We don't know what it means to labor anymore. Labor to build a house. Labor, labor to build a family. Labor to build an education. Labor to build character. Labor to build trust. If you've ever broken trust with the person you love, you understand what it means to labor to rebuild trust. Thankfully, there are still some things in life that we understand the concept of labor. If you've ever given birth to a human being, you understand the concept of labor, of breathing and pushing and holding and sweating and looking at the watch and, and praying through it. Like We, church, need to be better about laboring in prayer. I know it's really easy in Chick-fil-A culture to say that one prayer, and if God doesn't answer it within a couple of days, you just assume it's not his will. But what if his will was to find you on your face before him, day in, day out, laboring for that thing that he wanted to birth through you? Maybe the thing he wanted to birth through you was more, worth more than a one-second prayer. Maybe it was worth the pain and the trauma of you laboring in pain to receive it. Burdens brew. Burdens brew like they simmer, right? Breakthroughs happen in a moment. And I know we all want a breakthrough, but there is always pressure on the lid before there is a breakthrough. There is always a, a point where your burden has to brew. That impregnation of what the Spirit wants to place inside your womb, there is a holy agitation to where you don't know what to do with it, but you just know that the Lord has called you to care about it. And so you pray and you're asking for answers and it's not really clear what you're supposed to do. It's not clear how you're going to have the finances to do what that burden needs you to do, but you continue to be on your face before the Lord because burdens brew. Burdens brew. And while burdens brew, we continue to pray through. If I wanted to be cheesy, I would say a rhyme like this. While burdens brew, we pray through. Then you'll finally have your breakthrough. But we just want the Chick-fil-A sandwich without the line. Labor in prayer. I, I know that the Lord in Scripture often instructs us 
So just sit on it for a while and watch him pray. Just sit on it and watch him pray. We, we know in Matthew 26, actually Jesus was about to go to the cross and he asked his disciples to pray and he goes off and he prays and the, he comes back and the disciples are asleep and he says, what are you doing? Could you not stay awake for one hour to pray? And he says, could you not keep watch with me for one hour? In verse 41, Matthew 26, 41, it says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. I'm convinced that many of us run into action because sitting and brewing with the burden is really uncomfortable and it creates opportunity for temptation. Temptation of fear. Temptation of self-sufficiency. Temptation to quit, to give up, to walk away. Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. If we want to rise and build, if you want to build something significant, don't rush over the foundational process. Get the right burden. That was last week. This week, spend some time praying about it. Fasting over it. Don't just run out and make it happen. Wait on the Lord. You can make a blessing if you want to, but if you make one, you're going to miss one. And the one you miss is going to be greater than the one you make. Watch and pray. Jesus is talking about the end times in Luke 21, verse 32 through 36. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I do believe that this is the season. I do believe we're in the end of the end days. But I make no guarantees that he's coming back this year or next year or 10 years or 20 years from now. I don't know. I'm not. He, he's God. He can do whatever he wants to do, right? Last I checked, he didn't need my permission on when he's coming back. But Jesus did talk about the end times and he said, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And in the time of, of waiting, in the time of expecting the Lord's return, I mean, even people far from Jesus right now are noticing that something has shifted in the world, right? It doesn't take a seminary degree. It doesn't, it doesn't even take a Bible to understand things are different, yeah. right? I, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto, right? The world even recognizes that. I mean, hopefully we as believers understand there's... There's something going on. The Spirit of God is doing something in the world. And in this tension, Jesus says, be careful of your hearts, or be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Verse 36, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and stand before the Son of Man. I know it would be so nice if Jesus came back today, right? Well, some of you love the world too much to want that. 
You don't have a vision of heaven yet. You don't know what that's going to look like. So I understand if you're like, no, not today. There's stuff I want to do. I get that. But for those of us who have eyes to see and ears to hear and know what's waiting for us on the other sound of that trumpet, it would be nice if Jesus came back today. Some of you are like, preferably before you end this message, Pastor. <laughs> but until he comes, we're not called to lock our front door and hide away and watch Netflix, Amazon Prime, just order from Amazon delivery so we don't have to interact with anyone. You and I, no matter what's happening out in the world, we are called to watch and pray. Let's watch for the sign. Let's watch for his return. Let's see the, the signs developing in the world. It's quite amazing to watch this book come to life. The things that for decades we've read about, to see it come together in ways that we would have never even thought. I mean, who, who would have thought even a year ago, 12 months ago, that Russia would be pulling the strings in the, the East, the Middle East, the Far East, the Close East. He's now got connections and ties to Saudi Arabia, cutting deals with Saudi Arabia. Who would have ever, ever thought that the U.S. dollar would have been pulled out of Saudi Arabia? Who would have thought that Putin, Russia, the Bible calls him Rosh, R-O-S-H, in the Battle of Gog and Magog, and it lists the nations that will be unified. Russia, Iran, which was Persia. Russia, Iran, Turkey, uh, Sudan. Ethiopia has a little bit of a part in it. And they're all coming together. And, and I, I hope you've realized that geopolitically, this wasn't the world stage forever. Like, these allies have not been allies forever. Persia was an ally to Israel. Iran, in 1946, was one of the first Eastern nations to even identify Israel, to say Israel was a nation. Iran! Iran was a friend of Israel 70 years ago? How many years is that? that, that for entire nations to be friends and now to be enemies... And the Bible predicted it 2,500 years ago. It's amazing. I don't know how I got off on this tangent. I just really like talking about the end times. What was my point? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. I don't know when he's coming, but I know he's coming soon. He's coming soon. In verse 1, verse 2, sorry. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. You see, Nehemiah had never been sad in front of the king before. He understood policy and procedure. You couldn't be a cupbearer and stand in front of the king and look sad. He, he knew this. And for the past four or five months, while he's carried this burden and he's fasted and prayed, he's put on his big boy clothes, pants, shoes, whatever, walked up before the king, and the king never knew 
until this moment. He understood policy and procedure. Even though he had a burden, he kept his emotions in check. If you want to rise and build church, we've got to keep our emotions in check. I don't know if you subscribe to the Enneagram or not. I happen to be an Enneagram 4, the most emotional in all types of the Enneagram. We have to keep our emotions in check. I'm, this is coming from somebody with a lot of experience in doing it wrong. We have to keep our emotions in check. Emotions are indicators. They're not masters. These new cars that they have out when I rent a car... And I get it because I don't drive a new car, but when I rent a car and I put on my blinker on the mirror, there's this light that flashes to let me, you know, know that uh, I'm sorry, not when I put on my blinker, when someone gets in my blind spot. See, I'm not even familiar enough with the technology to describe it. But somebody's driving up beside me and the, the mirror started blinking to let me know there was something in my blind spot. Anyone have a car currently that does that? It lets you know. Oh, yes. Good. Bless you. Bless you. <laughs> Hashtag favor. Um, no, that's, that's amazing. But, but here's what you've probably learned. Those signals are indicators. It, it tells you something's there. It doesn't tell you to merge. Emotions don't tell us to merge. They just tell us something's there. Our emotions tell us something's wrong with our heart. There's a, a part of our heart that's not healthy, that's not whole. That's why scripture says to be angry and sin not. It is okay actually to feel all the emotion you want, but feelings are just indicators. They're not directives. You don't feel and merge. You feel and pray. That's exactly what Jesus did. He had great emotion, and he prayed. It's hard to rise and build anything in life, by the way, when you're led by your emotions and you are up and down, up and down. One day you're good, one day you're down. I, I know, I've been there, I've been there. I can give testimony to the fact that it's really hard to build anything when you're up and when you're down. When you're up and when you're down. I love what Amber said today in worship. She talked about the fish and the loaves, it's like five and two of something, but because I'm dyslexic, I can't remember which is which. It's either two fish and five loaves or five fish and two loaves. But e either way, it was a small amount, and they fed everybody. And she said they had 12 baskets left over. Twelve in the Bible is the number that stands for government, God's rule. And see, when you give all that you have, it will meet your current need. But it won't just meet your current need. It will establish a pattern of God's government in your life, God's rule in your life, so that you're not up and down, up and down, up and down. And I, I get some of us can say, that's just my personality. It's not your personality. It's an attack of the enemy. You see, God has made a way where every mountain is made low and every valley is raised up and the, the, the path becomes straight for those who are hidden in him. Even things, circumstances that catch us off don't have to throw us off. 
Jesus wasn't ruled by his emotions. If you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he did not feel like going to the cross. He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He was so stressed out, he was sweating blood. Sweating blood. And he prayed, and he stood, and he moved forward. Verse 2. We find out that Nehemiah was very afraid. Anytime that you get a burden, and you've spent time in prayer, and you understand that it's time to move forward, fear is going to try to rise up inside of you. You're going to be afraid of the what ifs, afraid of the potential for failure, the potential of rejection. Often when we decide to be an agent of change for God, fear will definitely try to attack us. Throughout the scripture, God encourages us, his people, to not be slaves to fear. You cannot rise and build anything if you are driven by fear. Verse 3, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. The king said, what is it you want? If God asked you today, what is it you want? Would you even know how to answer? If God gave you a blank check today, whatever is the desire of your heart, what do you want? What would you say? Would what you say have to do with your bank account? Your house, your car, your clothes, your looks? What in the world would change because of the desires that are locked up in your heart right now? How would your neighborhood look different if God gave you the desires of your heart right now? How would Texas look different? How would the United States of America look different? How would the world look different if he said yes to the desires of your heart right now? Because if the desires of your heart doesn't impact anyone outside of your home, your desires are too small. Verse 5, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? The king's not act, asking this because he's afraid of pain, of PTO, right? He's not afraid of, of Nehemiah getting a little something that he doesn't deserve. He doesn't want Nehemiah to be gone long because Nehemiah is the one that keeps him alive. So this ask is a big ask on Nehemiah's part. And the king says, how long... Will you go? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. 
Verse 7, I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have, I, I think it's just so funny. He works up the courage after four or five months to ask the king if he can take off and go. And then the king says yes, and he says, oh, and by the way, can I also have letters to give to the governors? Can I also have uh, timber from the royal park and the gates of, to make the gates of the citadel by the temple, verse 8, for the city wall, for the residence I will occupy, because the gracious hand of my God was on me. The king granted my request. I need you right now, not like now, now, this week now, to make plans for that blessing that the Lord is about to give you. I need you to have an expectation that your God wants to do something good for you. Some of us, if God gave us a million bucks, wouldn't even know what to do with it. I'm not suggesting that Money is the only way that God blesses. Money is probably the lowest measure of God's blessing on my life, but it's a way. And if God gives you a million bucks, what would you do with it? Like, have, have plans for these kinds of blessings. Some of you would say, I just want to put the million dollars in savings, not even realizing that the FDIC only covers 250000 So you're just like risking three quarters of a million dollars, and it's not growing for you. You get my point. I'm saying plan for big so that when God presents you with big, you can then step out and move. We're so worried about the prayers that God doesn't answer, but what about the prayers that he's about to answer? Are you prepared to steward them? Are you prepared to run with them? Or are you just going to be so shocked that God answered your prayer? It's going to take you forever to start the engine and start down the road. Like, let's not be shocked when God wants to bless us big. I'm over time. But I want to leave you with this thought. In the end of this chapter and the rest of the chapters that we're going to read, we're going to communicate to you and talk about all the opposition that Nehemiah experiences as he's rising and building. But I want you to start today practicing something that we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. And that's embracing your opposition. You've got the burden. You've spent time in prayer. And now we've got the go-ahead and God is about to raise us up. But don't hate the opposition. Because every purpose that comes into your life must face opposition. No plane lifts off the ground without opposition. Opposition can become your friend, not your foe. As Nehemiah stood before the king, Artaxerxes, I thought about how incredible it is. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. And how just 40 years prior to Nehemiah standing before King Artaxerxes, um, that king's dad was Xerxes, King Xerxes. King Xerxes, 40 years prior, he had had a wife named Vashti. Vashti was beautiful and 
Um, he asked Vashti to come in and model. He was drunk and had all his friends there and, and asked Vashti to model for he and all his friends. Vashti refused and he divorced her. But in the wings, God already knew that was going to happen. And in the wings, God was preparing a Jewish woman to become the king's wife. You probably know her as Queen Esther. Queen Esther is the stepmom to King Artaxerxes. So 40 years earlier, God had positioned a woman, Esther, in a place that she didn't belong to create change that was much bigger than her. And in that same family line, what Queen Esther began 40 years earlier, we now see a Jewish man, Nehemiah, standing in the same citadel of Susa. The Lord is preparing for him a purpose that is so much bigger than himself. If you trust God, God will send you in places you don't belong to create change you were never intended to create by the world's standards. But your purpose will outlive you and outgrow you if you'll just put your trust in him. Can we pray? Church, stand with me. Father, in Jesus' name. God, I thank you that we've established a burden, something to live for, something to die for, something to pray for. God, I ask that we would not prematurely run after a burden and make that happen on our own, but yet we would just linger in prayer, in fasting, that we would sit with you for a while. God, I thank you that over these next few days, you're just going to remind us that there is purpose beyond pandemic. There is purpose beyond pain. There is purpose beyond economic uncertainty. There is purpose beyond global divisions and global tensions. God, if you're going to choose anyone in the world to do something in these final days, let it be us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Let the church say, amen. God bless you.